Oh, and this is a key part is the end. It's not me. It's my brain. This is where you disassociate. You, you disidentify from saying, I am not this person. I am not this emotion. I'm not this experience. That's why, again, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a mm-hmm. suicidal uh, alcoholic with PTSD. That's not who I am. That's just my brain going through a pattern. So O is you opt for a new meaning and P is purpose and preemptive strikes. You take mm-hmm. some action in line with that purpose and slowly one action becomes two actions, three actions. You build a momentum and then you cultivate a new self by consistently taking that action in line with that purpose. Hey everyone, have a wonderful surprise here for you. This is a book by someone that I think branded the word fear, good fear, called Fearvana by Akshay Nadavadi, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth, and happiness. And this is gonna be a stroll through a guy's life that was a Marine, uh, overcame post-traumatic stress, addiction, climb mountains, runs ultra marathons. This guy is super impressive and he's got a big idea. So if you have fear in your life and you want to learn how to harness fear and perhaps weaponize it, this is a book and an episode I think you're going to enjoy. Thanks for listening. Hey, today we have Akshay Nanavati, the author of Fearvana. Uh, love this book. It's uh, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear into health, wealth, and happiness. Good to meet you, Akshay. Good talking to you earlier as well. It's good to be here. Thanks so much for having me, my friend. Awesome. Awesome. We were, uh, Steve and I were just going through your MentorBox uh, presentation. Uh, our new sponsor is MentorBox, MentorBox.com, where you can get uh, a good nugget of the book and the 10 big ideas from the book. So we went through that earlier today and enjoying your journey. But uh, you know, want to connect you with our audience because we've done a lot of books on business and a big part of business is, you know, taking the step of, you know, stepping outside yourself and, and mm-hmm. connecting with what it is you're afraid of. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, Fearvana and, you know, how business owners could connect to the tools that you have and most specifically and like how to actually use fear instead of have it use you. Yeah. The idea of fearvana is, I mean, if I had to define it in one word, I define fearvana as the bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle. So that's sort of the one sentence definition of fearvana. And the idea is, I, I mean, I wrote it in a, to combat the demonization of fear. People often say things like be fearless, don't be scared, you know, and to combat the demonization of not just fear, but fear, stress, anxiety, all these quote unquote negative emotions. And especially in the business realm, like you said, right, people have to step into fear to build a business. You have to take a risk. It's going to be stressful. The journey is incredibly hard. It's stressful. It's scary. You're going to deal with anxiety, but those are not bad things. They're just more challenging emotions, but they're not negative emotions. So for as for example, I worked with this one guy who came up to me once and said, I'm just waiting for the fear to go away so I can quit my job and start my business. Right. And I said, that's your problem. You're waiting for the fear to go away. And we feel like we should be fearless. But confidence is the result, not the fuel. It's the result of taking action, not the fuel. So the idea when, when I work with people, I mean, in many different contexts of navigating fear to step into the other side of fear, which is the experience of fear of honor, It's to use fear. So when you feel it, like one simple technique is to engage the fear. Don't run away from it. I always like to say that fear propels you to prepare. So instead of trying to say, oh, let's be fearless, let's pause. Why am I scared? What am I scared of? What's the worst case scenario? How do I prepare for the worst case scenario? 
and digging deep into the fear. So whether I'm, I mean, writing a book on fear, I was terrified. I was terrified that people would hate it. I might get a one-star review on Amazon, all that kind of stuff, right? So I I studied about how do I write a better book? And I studied from people, authors like Jack Canfield, Tim Ferriss, great authors. And I must have trashed like 100,000 words, no exaggeration, 100,000 words worth of work. But as a result, I wrote a book that I'm now proud of. It's making an impact. It was worthy of getting a forward from the Dalai Lama. But because I was scared, same thing when building my business, any venture in my business. And with Fear of Honor, we're now building multiple verticals. I am absolutely terrified. I have no clue what to do or how to do what I want to do with Fear of Honor. Be careful, right? (laughs) You know, to back up, uh, talk about someone who's been in the face of fear. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you've you've, uh, struggled with addiction, overcome it. You Mm -hmm. were a veteran. Mm-hmm. You've you did this insane journey across the world, you were, you know across the continents, and also climb mountains. So you have a the most diverse background, wouldn't you say, Steve? Of anybody we met, um, you know, and and then in, in your journey, you, you know, I think a lot of people want to know your story. Uh, yeah, I love your story because that's kind of what uh, the, where the uh, the idea comes from. Uh, Ego secure, Bona. Yeah, do, yeah. Help to share it with us. Sure, sure. Yeah, the I, the the I would say that the ethos of Firavana kind of began when I moved to the I had, I'm born in India, moved to the U.S. at 13, and soon after moving here, I got very heavily into drugs, into alcohol. I used to cut myself, burn myself. I still have these scars on my arm from doing that. Very self-destructive. I lost two friends to drug addiction and was heading down that path myself. I mean, so many things I did that sometimes I wonder how how I made it out. But watching the movie Black Hawk Down, I don't know if you have you seen yeah. that movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, that movie both. was the trigger that planted the seed that changed my life. I mean, almost overnight, I watched that movie, got out, got out of drugs and decided to join the Marines, decided to stop living this very selfish, meaningless, purposeless existence and start living in a world in a group where you live for the, the, good, the good of the group. In the Marines and the military, it's about the mission. It's about the men. Nobody cares about your well-being. You live for the good of the group. And there's something tremendously beautiful and spiritual about that so almost overnight stopped doing drugs joined the marines uh it took a little while and that's when i started to first find the beauty and struggle the beauty and fear because mm-hmm. obviously joining marine corps boot camp was hard and not only that i have a blood condition that two doctors told me would kill me in boot camp so i had to fight my way into the marines it took me about a year and a half to do that but mm-hmm. finally i got in and uh obviously i survived but not only that i thrived you know and so after joining boot camp I then started looking for other ways to test myself and engage fear and go into spaces of suffering and pain. So I went mountain climbing, cave diving, ice climbing, skydiving. I mean, you name it. I volunteered in leper colonies, uh, worked with people in extreme poverty, just going into experience the extremes of the human condition. And then in 2007, I was deployed to Iraq as an infantry Marine. So out there in Iraq, one of my jobs was to walk in front of our vehicles looking for bombs before they could be used to kill me and my fellow Marines. Obviously, you learn to manage fear out there. (laughs) You learn to navigate fear. You learn to navigate adversity. And um, once again, thrive. You know, just grew from that experience. Struggled, of course. It was far from easy, but struggled. But thrived ultimately in that. And the the, the toughest battle, though, was when I came back from Iraq. When I came back from Iraq, I'd lost a friend in the war. uh, Lost a couple of junior Marines to suicide. And I struggled with coming back. You know, when I came back, I felt like, what? why did I deserve to be back here? Why did I deserve to be happy? Why did I deserve to be even alive? And so once again, I never got back into drugs, but once again, I started drinking heavily. Wow. You know, you can, you can relate. I got to a point that I was in my life that drinking like a bottle of vodka a day, you know, just drinking till I'd pass out, wake up and drink again. And this would go on for days on end until my body could no longer take it. And one morning after just five, six days of this, 
I woke up and was just on the verge of picking up a knife and slitting my wrist. And that was kind of the, that was rock bottom, right? right? That was pretty much rock bottom. And that was what started to climb out of the abyss. From there, I started researching neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, initially just to navigate my own brain and navigate my own suffering. But it led me on this far deeper quest to figure out, obviously, I'm not the only person who suffered. Everybody goes mm. through some pain in life. Everybody goes through sure. suffering. So how do we navigate the experience of suffering and how do we find beauty in it? And that's what ultimately led me to Fearvana. Com combining my life experiences that I've had so far with this research, with everything I've done since, you know, from running ultra marathons, like recently I ran 50 miles around a cul-de-sac in the, during the quarantine or skiing across polar ice caps where I dragged 190 pound sled for 350 miles across the world's second largest ice cap or spending seven days in pitch darkness, isolation and silence to go deep within through all these experiences, you know, finding that there's beauty in suffering, there's beauty in pain. And the single most important skill to master is to develop a positive relationship to the experience of struggle and suffering, which is fundamentally the most, uh, the, I mean, uh, the, the contrast to that, that's the most demonized thing, right? The single greatest barrier to our well-being is the demonization of suffering. Words right. like fear, stress, anxiety, pain, suffering, adversity. Nobody hears these words and thinks positive, right? And the idea of fear of honor is to combat that, to have people fall in love with the, with the suck if you will. <laughs> yeah, you have, uh, I picked up on some of the, some of the, some of the uh, messages of suffering, like the worthy struggle mm -hmm. and the concept that, uh, and you know, you quoted Victor Frankl because we interviewed his grandson yeah. a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Uh, Alex Vaselli, And he, he said that his uncle had once said, I never read Victor saying this, but he said it, one thing he was said that uh, everyone has their own version of Auschwitz. And mm. suffering is really uh, a personal matter because whatever your worst suffering is, it's the worst your life has ever been. And you've yeah. connected the dots to finding meaning in your own struggle. Um, and then, uh, you know, I know, I know, because I, I have a, you know, I'm a, a liver transplant survivor. Yeah. So I have um, what's called survival's guilt a little bit. And I know that, that I, I read and heard, heard some of your talks about your friend that died in Iraq. Mm -hmm. um, you carry his picture. Tell us a little bit about that, how you use guilt um, yeah. in a good way. Yeah. When I came back, you know, everybody told me not to feel guilty. Right. You know, don't feel guilty. You can't control it. And rationally, I get it, right? Rationally, you can't control what happens in war. Bullets fly where they fly. Bombs explode where they do. But emotionally, it didn't change the fact that the guilt was there. And everybody frames guilt as this bad emotion. Nobody thinks of guilt as good, right? It's quote unquote bad. Right. And as I started delving into my own healing, I realized that it's not a bad emotion. It's just an emotion. And ultimately, guilt is just an expression of love. Like, why do you feel it? And it's not just veterans who feel it. Obviously, like you said, you feel it. A lot of people who've lost somebody, they feel that survivor's guilt. Like, why them instead of me? And so when I learned to look at guilt as just an expression of love, I learned to make it work for me. So for a long time, only recently did I change it because like anything, it can be taken too far. But for a long time, I had a picture of my friend up on my wall and it said, this should have been you. Right. Earn this life. That's super And powerful. my guilt drove me. It drove me to sober up. It drove me to finish writing my book. It drove me to realizing that I don't have the right or the luxury to waste this life I've been gifted. And when I say that, I mean like in multiple ways that I've almost been killed in by falling boulders in the Himalayas, not only being in a war zone, but even in Iraq, I found out after coming back from the war that my vehicle drove over an active bomb when I was in Iraq. And for some reason, it didn't explode. Now, again, I, I don't know why, I don't know what that means, but what I do know is that I learned, like my, I don't have the right to waste this life and my guilt, I reframed it to say, okay, it's on you now to earn this. And to this day, I mean, I have a picture up in my living room that's 
uh, that says you will die soon. And it's a, it's a, uh, right above it. It's a picture of a tombstone and it's actually Jacob Neal, my friend's tombstone from, from his, uh, um, uh, from the graveyard where he's buried in San Antonio. So and I look at that every day. The subconscious power, the power of subconscious and, um, because one of the things that kind of woke me up once, because you have these mo- these moments of epiphany, and mm-hmm. one one for me was obviously when I lived at someone else. I had my liver was so so destroyed it needed a deceased donor. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things you you was like someone had to die for me to live. Um, but it, it occurred to me as well because there's more people on a transplant list than there are active donors. Mm-hmm. So because I got the 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 organ and lived, someone else died waiting mm. so there was really three people in the equation so i use that kind of as a as a wake-up call it's like you got to honor yeah. your friend and you got to honor those that that uh, have made Absolutely. the sacrifices and didn't survive the suffering and, and but sacrificed themselves for it um Love that. Talk, yeah. talk about uh now we get to some of the algorithms because you got some very cool um kind of points in your book about the steps you know i have you know three steps to recreating yourself in, 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 you know, I think people think in threes, like the three blind mice, the three musketeers, the three amigos. Yeah. Three, everything seems to be three or four. Uh, th- you're, you have three steps to uh, Nirvana. I keep mm. trying to say, I almost say Nirvana. I, <laughs> I, love the, I love the word. I didn't get it when I got your book. I got the book and I was like, wow, kind of a cool, it's got an open door. And a, but talk about that, like that transformation from getting, you know, being afraid to using fear. Yeah. So the, the, the three steps that kind of outline the fear of process, step one is awareness and acceptance. Mm-hmm. So in, in the book, I go much deeper into the neuroscience of how the brain works and kind of the, I would say the fundamental, like the key part in that, in that chat, in that section is recognizing the awareness that we don't control most of what happens in our brain. So whether it be quitting a job to start a business or like right now, if I was sitting, sitting in this room and somebody came in here with the gun, mm-hmm. I'm not choosing to feel fear my brain would feel fear. Same thing with starting a business. It's, it's a risky thing. So uh, you're not choosing to feel fear. Fear shows up. And the emotion is never the problem. It's what we do with it. Fear is never the problem. It's the fear of fear it's that, that's the problem. So getting aware of how we work, aware of how the brain works, aware of ourselves, our own triggers of what leads to what emotion, and then accepting the isness of that reality. So accepting the isness of, I don't control that fear shows up. Instead of trying to fight it, resist it, beat it up, right? Acceptance. Once you accept that isness, now you can do something about it. So right. in that whole section, I talk about the myth of free will. Like we, we, we think we're much more autonomous beings than we are, but we're not. We don't control most of what happens in our brain. It's the subconscious forces, right. automatic patterns that have shaped us into who we are today, right? right? So awareness and acceptance. Second step is action. So action is once, of course, you ultimately you have to do something about it. Mm. No matter what the struggle, no matter what the challenge, whether it be addiction, depression, PTSD, anxiety, dealing with fear about starting a business, whatever it may be, we may not control the trigger that shows up. But at some point, it's on us to then rise above it, transcend it, take action in mm-hmm. service of it. So we sm- start with small little actions. I didn't get here overnight, by the way. I mean, when I was a kid, I was terrified of Ferris wheels, <laughs> let alone what I do now, you know, fair, like everything. <laughs> <He's> scared, yeah. <laughs> I was scared of everything. So you build yourself into you create to your point too that you mm-hmm. said you know you create yourself right. i don't like to say that there is no self to find there's a self to create and you got to create that every mm-hmm. single day it's a relentless battle so taking yeah. action so in step two i kind of go into the mindset of fear of honor, the growth mindset what the experience of fear of honor is like and stepping into action to find your own 
path of Theravana? What is your own worthy struggle? And then section three, the final step is awakening. Awakening is that, that, that realization, that, uh, that, that moment you have a realization to some new awakening, some new insight that evolves your consciousness, mm -hmm. that allows you to step into that next greatest version of yourself. And it's a constant evolution, right? You've got to think, think of yourself in versions version 2.0 3.0 4.0 5.0 so there's never like a, a failure don't think of yourself as pass or fail there's no failure mm -hmm. there's just oh this thing happened great now it's the stepping stone to the next version of myself so all the the the, the struggles that i've went through that you went through you know from the moment that i was sitting on that couch about to kill myself right. that wasn't a failure i mean of course i'm not proud of it but i don't regret it you know right. that was part of had that not happened, I would not be here sharing Firavana, being able to help people with, the, with, with that message because I've been mm. through that struggle. Right. So now, now that I am where I am, I'm not, I'm, I'm not waiting for things like that to happen. I seek out suffering. I seek out struggle mm -hmm. as a tool to access that next awakening. Because in order to get the next awakening, you have to step into new areas. You can't have the next growth by sitting on your couch and doing what you've always done. Right. You're going to have to go into new areas, into new spaces. And I don't just mean externally, more importantly, internally, right? New spaces within yourself. And you're going to have to confront new demons, go into new darkness mm. to find new light, to seek out that new awakening. And that's kind of the, and, and through a new awakening, you get a new awareness, then a new acceptance, action, awakening. So it's a, it's a cyclical process, right? Awareness, acceptance, action, awakening. And it goes on and on and so forth. And the beautiful thing is there's no end to it, right? Till the day we die, there's more growth to be had. That's a, a, wow. safe to say uh, you've completely recreated yourself, brain, body, <laughs> even your business life, like uh, physically. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely. And using fear almost because uh, I was reading something about the, the concept of and you mentioned a little bit. You mentioned this actually in, in detail that the mistake learners high. Like once you there's a there's some people that like the Edison was said to have the mistake learners high. Like he got excited when he found out something didn't work. Uh, yeah, I mean, and maybe that triggered some kind of charge in his life, you know, maybe even a chemical reaction. I want to ask you about all the chemicals. Those that was one of the most interesting parts of your book, in my opinion. So I, I'm fascinated that there's actual science that exists that can get you out of your your worst place in life, and by creating, understanding, and creating momentum using this three step process, you can use the fear, create mm -hmm. some momentum, and of course, once that happens, you'll start to develop that urge to want more yeah like oh good like bring it fear, fear yeah. is a good thing bring it it's an ally yeah. like you said uh tell tell me about the 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 hormones that uh what did you call it in your in your book you called it like the fire you know, and wiring together the fire the yeah neuroplasticity yeah, right. was that i don't know what it was but it was <laughs> it was just like the the there's like a a, a a trigger effect, a ripple effect of things that you do, like when you exercise, yeah. you're creating, you're creating uh, like all kinds of uh, pinballs going around your body, trying to awake, awaken your body and your momentum. Yeah, it was fascinating doing this research myself. You know, I call it the uh, the chemical cocktail of Fearvana. That's it. And there's multiple there's multiple neurochemicals that that release in in moments of uh, um, novelty, when you seek out novelty. I mean, like the stress hormone, for example, is called uh, is, is, uh, uh, cortisol. Mm -hmm. Now people often demonize cortisol as something bad, but it's not bad. <laughs> it's what right. we believe it to be. Cortisol is, you need stress to grow. Just like the body, you stress it out to, to get stronger. Same thing with the mind and the spirit. Cortisol can be useful, but other, mm -hmm. other chemicals like anandamide. That's, so that's one that was fascinating for me to learn about. Anand, the word anand comes from San the Sanskrit word meaning bliss. So you're literally, re there's still a lot of research being delved into this neurochemical, mm -hmm. but you're releasing this anandamide that's literally translated as bliss. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so when you step into novelty, which is why we like there, there's that, you know, we crave variety. Why do we travel? We nobody. I mean, we, we at the same time, while we crave comfort and security, we also crave variety. Right. right. We want to experience new things. We want novelty. Novelty makes us happy. One one researcher said the lack of novelty is what creates dep- depression. Like de- the people who mm. have depression, it's the lack of experiencing novelty. So anandamide, oxytocin, oxytocin is the quote unquote love hormone. Right. That's released when you hug somebody, when you have sex, you know, mm. and, and that that's actually released, especially like, like in the Marines. And then I talk about that with Navy SEALs, you know, that when we suffer together, when we suffer together as right. one, it helps release that, that oxytocin is what creates that camaraderie as right. well in brotherhood and combat, you know. Uh, as an example so and then also like an exercise endorphins dopamine the joy hormone all of these chemicals that kind of come together that that produce in our brain so we're actually wired to seek out novelty mm. to experience novelty but we've been taught in a world that feeds comfort feeds right. ease you know this is the easiest way to get what you want seek out comfort because in a way we're also wired to seek out comfort right. evolutionary speaking we lived in a world where threats were acute and and we were life was you know we were they were threatens to our life so right. we were wired to seek out comfort as a means from a const- as a release from a constantly stressful environment. Yeah, we invented but, comfort. Comfort didn't exist five exactly. thousand years ago. Not the norm. Yeah, happiness it was wasn't either. Norm. It's like yes, you live or no, you die. Right? You exactly. Talk, comfort you know, was not the norm. So we were wired to seek it out as a release from con- like these acute stressors. Now we live in a world of excess comfort, right. excess ease, and so we're we're, we're ultimately <laughs> struggling more than ever before because of that. And that's why the whole ethos of Firavana is to seek out suffering. Right. We're, we're like we need to be in spaces of struggle and suffering mm. to tap into our ultimately our humanity and, uh, and what we're what we truly are. That's how you grow through that. Yeah, I, I guess you're. I guess you're right. Cause we we had these brains here. You talked about the the animal brain. This is, an, yeah. this is a prop we use for a TikTok video. We just got 13,000 <laughs> views on it. So I think I'm a, love it, love I'm a TikTok it. celebrity, which is the good news. The bad news is everybody's <laughs> like 14 years old. <laughs> so the, the, the animal brain versus the, because this is a fascinating uh, topic, the cognitive biases, the, the animal brain, the, 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 the million-year-old brain versus our new, yeah. our new logical, rational brain. And they, they're in a battle all the time. Uh, how do you use the brain, you know, like these cognitive uh, embedded pro-survival behaviors to your advantage? It's like, I thought that was wonderfully uh, talked about. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The idea is that the animal brain is a subconscious force. That's the force we don't control. We don't control most of what's happening there. Mm -hmm. Right. So our cognitive biases have existed as an evolutionary construct to help us survive. Uh, there's like a ton of, I mean, I mentioned seven in the book and then I go deeper into uh, uh, 25 cognitive biases mm. deeper on my site. And like, for example, like one of them, I call it the law of love and hate. You know, there's, uh, I can't even remember all the cognitive biases I mentioned in the book, but like, for example, one of them is, sorry, there's a loud uh, no worries. <laughs> noise. We're a reality, <laughs> we're a reality show too. <laughs> we don't care about noise. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's like one, for example, is, I mean, if you look at evolutionary speaking, right, mm. if I'm Every time there's a, a lion attacks me from tall grass, right. my brain will learn to say tall grass equals danger. So all tall grass e- is bad. Oh, yeah, Let yeah, me stay yeah. away from tall grass. Mm. Right. So we've created these constructs to simplify a complicated world and ultimately to keep us alive. And the goal when we read about cognitive biases, we think of them as something negative, right? Mm. As something bad, because in this world, they can be negative. But our brain is not designed for a modern world. Our brain is still designed for our cave world where survival was a constant threat. That's why another cognitive bias is called the negativity bias. Yeah. 
we're more wired to look for the negative than we are for the positive because evolutionary speaking, it's more important that I stay present to the danger, the threat of the tiger trying to kill me than the beautiful sunset. Who cares if I miss a beautiful sunset? I'm still going to be alive the next day. Right. So we're more wired. And there's a lot of research that's shown this, that people will do more to avoid losing $50 than to gain $50. You know, And a lot of other research has validated that from a young age, we have this negativity bias. Mm. Now, that can all be valuable. The goal is not to get rid of the cognitive bias. It's to be aware of it right. and then say, okay, cool. It's there. Let me not be defined by it. And that's why that, that, that's why the battle for uh, to be a, for that awareness yeah. to become more present to the experience of what's happening on our animal brain is relentless. Like I myself can get caught up in forgetting that these forces in my brain, mm -hmm. they're not who I am. That's just patterns. I'm not I'm right. not controlling of them. Like they're not who I am. Right. And we have to def we have to recognize that space. Victor Frankl, you mentioned, talks about this a lot mm -hmm. that between stimulus and response. There is a space. Right. In that space lies our power to choose our response, and in our response lies our growth and our mm. freedom. So that stimulus of our animal brain, which we don't control, and the space of our conscious human brain, that space defines us. So one of the key things I always like to share is that, share is that we are not our thoughts, we are not our feelings, we are not our experiences. We are the thinker of our thoughts, the feeler of our feelings, and the experiencer of our experiences. And that is everything. That's, that's, that's the key right there is to separate yourself, to detach yourself from your thoughts, your feelings, and your experiences, recognizing they're just, they're just there. They're floating around in our brain. The, the thing is, what do I do with that? And that means you have to constantly practice that self-awareness, practice that recognition that you are not defined by your thoughts, and create that space and take action in service of your mission, your path of Firbana, who you want to be. You had a... I spent some time with Jack, too, Jack Canfield, mm -hmm. when I was writing my book, and... He told, because I, I, I talked, my first book was going to be called You're Not an Addict. Never were, never will be. Mm -hmm. That was going to be the title of my first book. I got too much hate mail on, um, yeah. I mean, it was a, it's a pretty emotional, uh, the recovery yeah. world is, is a very emotional, they're very passionate about, you know, you don't get this, we're in recovery, we're, we're you know, we have this disease. I mean, they, they have a lot of, a lot of belief in that. And I, I, first of all, I honor however anyone decides to get out of that evil scourge. Yeah. Um, but what Jack told me, and Jack had some kids that suffered with the addiction as well, because we, we, we talked about this off camera. And he said, uh, when you say I am, right, you are making a subconscious command yeah. to yourself. Yeah. Because you're you're, you are ultimately in control of what you suggest to, to be. Yeah, and that's why you know that's why I'm so powerfully uh, connected to the fact that you know I am uh, I'm a superhero. That's what I said. I said Love I'm it. not an addict. I'm a superhero. Love it. And yeah. and that's what I wrote the book, Superhero Self. And 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 all the while here, I'm looking at you know the 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 gold and these these words here that you can get on MentorBox, you know you know on their portal, and then obviously get the book. I always use them both together. MentorBox gives me a deep dive, yeah. and then the book gives me the uh, you know the forever forever knowledge and it's like yeah, but that that was uh, kind of cool. And you and you you had mentioned also that you sobered up while you were writing your book. Yeah, I had. Or, I mean, when I first hit that low moment, I didn't actually entirely sober up. Then I had mm. first I, I stopped drinking. Well, I mean, first I went deeper into drinking after, right. even after that moment. Then I stopped, and I learned to moderate it for mm -hmm. a little while. But my and I was okay with moderating it. But my problem was, you know, every once in a while a trigger would hit. Sure. And I just would like it would go deep into the pit again. So I uh, I realized I was finally I realized I'm not really good at moderation, <laughs> which is why even now as an ultra runner, I just I will run 50 miles around right. a cul-de-sac or 80 miles around a point <laughs> two mile loop, you know. So I just embraced that my extreme yeah. personality 
and uh, and channeled it. But yeah, I sobered up. It was kind of a cathartic process of writing my own book. And mm. I mean, I could not resonate with you more about the labels. You know, again, if it works for somebody, it works right. for somebody. But I never would say I am an alcoholic because right. I would. Why am I going to choose to label myself that? You know, right. and I mean, to your point, I've worked with people with mental health issues. Like I worked with one one young girl who was labeled by the therapist said you have like was told her you have depression. Right. So she would always say things like I'm depressed. I have depression. Instead of saying my brain goes through a state of depression from time to time. Right. But that's not who I am. And I'm not my brain. Right. So like to your point, I'm going to only say I am to the person I want to become to the person I want to create, which I love your point that I am that superhero. Right? right. So I am that warrior, whoever, like however you choose to say, but, but I love that. And I, that's why I never called myself a, like even with PTSD. I would say I was diagnosed with PTSD, but I don't have PTSD. Right. I had symptoms. My brain had symptoms of post-traumatic stress, which mm -hmm. are very normal human responses to war. But I was not defined by that, you know. So I created the new new label, Fear of Honor, and um, and 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 it was it through that process that I ultimately so. And I did I did to be very frank with you. After I sobered up, after I wrote the book, mm -hmm. I broke my sobriety. Not last year, I think the year yeah the year before last. When I went through, I went through a very challenging divorce. Mm -hmm. I ended up breaking my sobriety. And kind of got into the darkness in the pit again, which is what ultimately led me to go spending seven days in darkness because I, I realized that mm -hmm. there was something missing and I wanted to go deeper within to find out what that thing was. And so I went into seven days of darkness because, again, I do everything in a fairly extreme way. Uh, so. <laughs> like they said about John Belushi when he stopped drinking, he says, that guy doesn't even do moderation in moderation. <laughs> That's what you remind me of. Uh, here, no, here, not so much. Yeah, here, no, of course, you run around 50 miles around a coldest thing. I love to hear that story. We don't have time. But um, the, you know, Kierkegaard once said, once you label me, you negate me. Mm. And I speak to the p the potential that you have when you know, I, hear, I see you talk about what you could have become and what you still what, what well, you're a young guy still by the way, so there's more out there for you, and there's another challenge and another struggle that awaits you. Um, really fantastic. One last question about post traumatic stress disorder because I've been studying. I actually just got a book called What Doesn't Kill Me. What doesn't kill me is from the Nietzsche. You read it already. Uh, I've read What Doesn't Kill Me. Yeah. Yeah. So the, but but you know what's interesting? I, I I heard about that book, and I also read. I'm, I ordered another book the next day because I heard someone speak about What Doesn't Kill Me, which he found out about post traumatic growth, studying post traumatic stress disorder, and then um, Seligman, I heard, found about learned optimism, which you. And I and, and Steve and you know embody like optimism, and he learned that studying learned helplessness. So you studied something bad and came up with something good. Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing here is Firvana is a a breakthrough that you had studying fear. Yeah, and you come up with Firvana like, hey, it's not the it's it's the opposite side of the coin. Absolutely, cool, you know, man. and that's what that that Super was my cool. same thing of studying like post traumatic stress. Uh, mm -hmm is that post-traumatic stress is not indicative of post-traumatic stress disorder. We attach those two as if right. they're the same, but they're not. You know, post-traumatic stress can easily lead to post-traumatic growth. Mm. And we need to reframe it accordingly. Martin Seligman did this great study where he went to West Point and he asked cadets, how many of you have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder? And it was something like 95% of people raised their hands. Mm -hmm. He then asked them, how many of you have heard of post-traumatic growth? And it was less than 5%. And his point was that we've made it a self-fulfilling prophecy that right. trauma experiences of suffering lead to disorder but they only but it's become that fulfilling prophecy because we live in a world that cultivates that mm -hmm. i mean right now it's it's unbelievable our world that we we cultivate that the, the smallest thing is like trauma and we're right. now you know we're now going to be traumatized for life by these mm -hmm. things but we're cultivating this mindset of that like that's right. and so then it becomes reality it becomes and shapes mm -hmm. our belief system it shapes our paradigms 
And that's what I, my whole thing I want to combat with Fearvana is that like suffering is a beautiful word. I'm not saying I wish it like I don't there's some things in life that are absolutely awful. I work with victims of sex trafficking, I work with former mm -hmm. child soldiers. I would never wish that on anybody. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. <clears throat> suffering is going to happen whether or not we like it. So we can find beauty in it. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea is finding, like reframing that as suffering is the most mm -hmm. beautiful thing. Adversity is beautiful. You know, and the, and the things that we don't wish that are, you know, the suffering that's handed upon us, but there's the suffering we can choose to seek. Building a business is an act of suffering. It's struggle. Right. Writing a book, yeah. running ultra marathons. These are all things that are great struggle, but they're beautiful. And seeking that out, embracing the struggle along the journey. Yeah. One of my mantras is suffer well. Like my key mantra of Firavana is these two words is suffer well. Suffer so anytime well. somebody's suffering, I'm like, suffer well. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, uh, Victor Frankl said that uh, once you find the meaning in suffering, it no longer is suffering. Exactly. And that's, a, that's Firavana. What a cool, what a cool concept. You have questions awesome. for us, Steve? You always um, have a few, few pearls. Yeah, I did. I had one question for you. Um, so I love the space between your thoughts and like <laughs> observing as well. That's a really cool thing. And I was wondering if you have any, as you experience fear now, since you have so many experiences with it, wrote the whole book, do you have any, when a trigger comes, do you have any specific tactics you like that are favorites of currently that maybe you sit down and journal, you meditate on it for a few minutes, anything like that that's currently a practice for you? Yeah, you know, the great question. Uh, meditating, journaling definitely work. I have a little mantra that I use that says, be with what is, but do not become what is. So actually that came to me while I was running one day and I was in, that was, I don't know, like 20, 30 yeah. miles into a run, going through the pain as you as one does and saying, be with the pain, but do not become the pain. So be with what is, but do not become what is. And in the book, I also go through this five-step process called LMNOP, which mm, is a right. great tool to practice the space between the isness and what you choose to do outside of it. So just to quickly run through it, L is label. Neuroscience has shown simply by labeling an emotion or labeling your experience, it, it reduces activity in the emotional parts of your brain and increases uh, activity in the part of your brain related to focus and awareness, that human brain. So just pausing to say, you know what, I'm feeling scared, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling stressed, can help you separate uh, yourself from that emotion, create that space. And quickly to run through it, M is meaning, what's the meaning of the event, what's the meaning of the emotion? Oh, end. This is a key part is the end. It's not me. It's my brain. This is where you disassociate. You, you disidentify from saying, I am not this person. I am not this emotion. I'm not this experience. That's why, again, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a mm -hmm. suicidal uh, alcoholic with PTSD. That's not who I am. That's just my brain going through a pattern. So O is you opt for a new meaning and P is purpose and preemptive strikes. You take mm -hmm. some action in line with that purpose and slowly one action becomes two actions, three actions. You build a momentum and then you cultivate a new self by consistently taking that action in line with that purpose. And that, that five-step process is a really useful tool to, um, to disidentify from your emotion, from your thoughts, from your feelings, and recognize there is a space. Like that, our, you, know, you know, man, like our yeah. thoughts will go wild. The mind oh, is definitely. like naturally a state of chaos. Mm. So when you can disidentify, you can realize that I'm not this, this crazy thing in here. Right. I can be something more. Who I want to be then is up to me. <laughs> That's awesome. The space between fear and action, is that it? The space. This, the space between the stimulus and response, right, the right, fear right. and the action ultimately. Yeah, the subconscious and the conscious response to it and who we choose to be outside of our outside of our fears, outside yeah. of our stress, outside of our anxiety, outside of anything. That's where my right. jet is. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I don't have a jet, that space. <laughs> You're the guy that branded good fear. Is that what they call it? Oxymoron? Like you have a brand for, yeah. for good fear. Like it's Nirvana, man. It's pretty cool. I love it. How do people yeah. get a hold of you? Uh, the book is available. It's on MentorBox. It's available mm -hmm. on uh, Amazon in Kindle, Audible, and paperback. Hundred percent of the profits go to charity as well. So we support some beautiful causes. Mm -hmm. And you can find me at fearvana.com as well. Awesome. And how do people? Uh, how how do people work with you? How do you go about your days now? 
Uh, I have right now, you know, I have current digital information products that I sell. Mm -hmm. So uh, along with, along like the lines of like the uh, kind of taking fear of honor to the next level. Right. So we'll have some programs that help people really push the line of mastery at mind, body, spirit, and craft. So I go much deeper into the process yeah. of mastery. I have programs around that. I'm building like a the, the vision for fear of honor is kind of what Richard Branson did with Virgin. I'm building with fear of honor, but unlike Virgin, I'm not looking to get into like mobile or airspace or, right. air, you know, airline or anything like that staying in the space of well-being. So we're creating like a Firvana fitness, Firvana festivals, Firvana journeys, Firvana retreats. I have my own nonprofit called the Firvana Foundation. We're launching Firvana Foods, a Firvana clothing line. So building a whole movement around this, uh, around this concept, wow. which is again, fundamentally to help people develop a positive relationship with suffering so they can do three things. Find, live, and love their worthy struggle. And that's what life is, right? To, mm. If you can do that, that's the essence of a life, a fulfilling, fulfilling and meaningful life. That's great. So currently I help people through digital products and we're launching many different brands and verticals to help guide people on their path and, uh, and get, you know, transcend their suffering and find meaning in it. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, Fear of Honor, the, the revolutionary science of how to turn fear to health, wealth, and happiness by Akshay Nanavati. And you couldn't get any greater endorsements than the Dalai Lama, Jack Canfield, <laughs> oh, Seth Godin. <laughs> awesome. I mean, good for you. Great having you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. Pleasure. Likewise. 